Please turn in your Bibles tonight with me on that subject to Luke chapter 23. Man, that was a, that was a very, very um, well-written song that really puts it in perspective for me. It was worth the drive to church tonight to, uh, to hear that song. I've been blessed already. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Luke chapter number 23, please. We've been looking at some of the conversations around the cross, the days before, the days of, and the days after the crucifixion. There are seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And here we look in Luke chapter number 23 at number seven, the last saying of Jesus. And one of the reasons why this probably is so significant is you have to understand this is the last utterance of the Son of God in His natural earthy. Now the word earthy is used in 1 Corinthians 15. It says there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies and there are, and then he goes on and explains that again. It says there are natural bodies and then he says these natural bodies are earthy. Then say earthly, it says earthy bodies. And these are the last words that Jesus will speak uh, as you might refer to as in his natural or earthly time here. Because once Jesus dies and once he is raised again from the dead, uh, there has never been a being like him once he has come out of the grave. He is a new creature. And we are new creatures in Christ. Someone who has completely overcome death. And we'll talk about that when we look at some of the conversations after the cross. But there is much in the Bible said about the death of Jesus. The death of the cross. And so I want you to look in Luke 23, uh, Luke 23, sorry, and verse number 44. And I want us to pick up there. And I want to remind you now that the Lord Jesus Christ in John 19, it is recorded about Jesus that he was aware, uh, even after the three hours of darkness there on the the cross, from noon till about three o'clock, when God had turned the light out and Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knowing, the Bible says, that all things were fulfilled. That was his awareness of what was going on. He cried, I thirst. And there it was, you know, him revealing his humanity there at the end. And then in John 19, 30, he also said this words, it is finished. We know that is his accomplishment, that he fulfilled the Father's will. John said that at that point he bowed up his, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And the other writers say he gave up the ghost. Luke records some more words that Jesus spake as he was giving up the ghost. And we find it here in Luke chapter number 23. Let's begin in verse number 44. The Bible says it was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Now I'm glad that I have a Bible that I can trust. Men will argue that it was only darkness there in Jerusalem. My Bible says it was over the the whole earth, 
over all the earth. I believe that. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And he said, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And this was part of why Jesus said, it is finished. So if you meet a very nice Catholic who is very devoted to their religion, you will find that they are participating in a religion that doesn't believe that it was finished on the cross. When Jesus finished it on the cross, there was no longer a need for an earthly priest. The priesthood of the Catholic Church is it dishonors the work of Jesus on the cross. And all the other things that go with that, we are considered in the Bible, First Peter, that we, are, we, have been made, uh, we have been made a priesthood ourselves, that we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, I'm glad that I don't have to call up somebody that's got their dress on with a collar and call him Father, and he looks like Mama. I'm glad I don't have to do that. I'm glad that I can go directly to God through my high priest, the Lord Jesus. What a blessing that is. And I don't have to call on Jesus' mama either. I can, I can call on Jesus' father through Jesus' name and have direct access. What a blessing that is when he said it is finished. And here he says these words. Let's look at this now. The Bible says in verse number 45, And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. Let's pray for just a moment. Our Father, we ask you to bless the preaching and teaching of your word tonight. In Jesus' precious holy name, Lord, I I sure want to honor you and glorify you. And I am limited, but I pray that you'd help me in my weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the word ghost is something that we don't usually consider looking at one another and say, you know, there's a ghost inside of you. We don't usually think that way, do we? But the word ghost also is used over in the Old Testament, also in reference to the spirit of man and how it haunts the body. That word haunt is the ghost haunts your body. The ghost lives inside your temple. And when death occurs, the ghost leaves the house and no longer haunts or inhabits that house. That's biblical terminology. Now, we sometimes use the word spirit, the word ghost. They're in reference to the same thing. But I don't want to deal with that tonight. I want to deal with some aspects here of Jesus' death. And I want you to look with me through the scriptures. I want you to turn over to, you're you're in Luke. Would you turn over to John chapter number 2? John chapter number 2. May I say to you that sometimes you may watch some shows about death. And I like like shows that that are factual about the passing of a a human, of what happens at death. And I've studied a lot of things about what occurs at death and what happens and some of the stories that have been told about people some of the things that they, they, they said that they experienced who may have been revived. And those things interest me, you know, because it's a place that, that is unknown to us and unexperienced to us. And we're all traveling into, into, a, into a destination 
that is really still a mystery to man of what really happens at death, that we're all headed that way. And yet here in the Scriptures, I want you to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here He is. We want to talk about His death. There are three very important facts about His death that you need to try to remember tonight as we study this. In John chapter number 2, let's begin in verse number 12. I want to say first of all about the death of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that His death was volitional. And when I say that, I mean it was voluntary. That He of His own will gave up His life. You know the book of Ecclesiastes says that no man has the power in that war between life and death to discharge his own spirit. In other words, I couldn't just right now say, okay, I've had it with you guys. I'm, I'm tired of this earth. Okay, I'm gone. I don't have the power to do that. You say, well, you have the power to, you know, to take your own life. Well, yeah, I could, I could kill the body and force it, the spirit to leave, but I can't just say the words. And my spirit leave. I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. No one does. And nor do I have the power to say, when it's time for me to die, stay. Don't leave. When the Lord commands it, it's leaving. We don't have that power. But there is one that does. And I want you to look in John chapter 2 and verse number 12. What it says here. Let's let's look in the context of this, and I pray that it will bless you, okay? First of all, his death was volitional. He was fully aware that his earthly journey would end in a violent death. Are you confident of that about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think that he was ambushed, or do you think that he accomplished something on the cross? Well, let's look and see, okay? Look in John chapter 2, verse number 12. And after this, talking about the, the, the uh, when he turned the water into wine... After this, he went down to Capernaum, and he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. Do you think he said, would y'all please leave? Do you think that's what he said? I think that he had a, he had something in his hand, and I think he was popping it, and I think he said, okay, boys, this is it. Y'all out of here. You're not making fun of my father anymore. The zeal of the Lord had eaten him up here. And it says, he drove them all out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Wow. That is quite a scene. I wish they had a video clip to show you right now. I really do. I have to use my imagination. I would say that things are probably pretty tense right there in that moment. They've never had anyone come in there and do this. Verse 16, And he said unto them, the soul doves, Take these things hence, and make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Now listen to Jesus. This is early in his ministry. He's probably about 30 years of age. Well, he is about 30. He is 30. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was it this temple in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. 
at the very beginning of his ministry, he is prophetically stating that they are going to take his body and kill him. And of course, in verse number 22, it says, And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture like and, and the word which Jesus had said. All right, now look in John 3, please, with me. Look in verse number 12. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, telling him that he must be born again. All right, and verse 12 says, and, and you know, you probably heard the saying that, you know, somebody says, well, why are you always telling somebody they must be born again? Why do you tell them that? Because they must be born again. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And this again now is in reference to the fact that he knows. How would you like to have that on your mind for three years? That you know that you are headed to Jerusalem at some point and they are going to take your life and they're going to hang you on a tree. This is in his mind. But here's his motive, verse 15, that whosoever, uh, he said in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What a wonderful passage of Scripture this is. Now look with me in John chapter 10, if you would please. Look in John chapter 10 and look in verse number 7. John chapter number 10 and verse number 7. And this is where the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to them about the sheepfold and the shepherd and how the sheep know his voice. Look in John 10, verse 7. The scripture says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is in hireling, and careth not for the sheep. Now he is implying that a real shepherd will give his life for the sheep, because he cares for those sheep. Now notice he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. 
Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now that statement is referring to the fact that one day it would not just be the Jew that would be saved, but there would also be Gentiles included. Okay? Verse 17. By the way, they don't want to hear that message. They didn't want to hear it from Paul. Verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me, now listen carefully to this, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. This is the key verse here now about what we read there in the book of Luke. He said, no man taketh it from me. Do you believe that? No man taketh it from me. We just heard tonight. He could have called 10,000 angels. He told us in the scriptures, he said, hey guys, I got this. If need be, I can call a legion of angels right now. My father will send them. He said, I lay down my life. Look in verse 18. No man taketh from me and I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Well, you would have thought, surely they would have been excited about that message. The Bible says in verse number 19 that they were divided over his message. You see, sometimes when you preach the truth, it does bring division. Depending on, really, are you looking for the truth? Amen? Truth does divide. Now, again, look in chapter 12 with me, please, and we'll hurry through this. Look in chapter 12. Look in verse 23, what he says here. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified. Now this is not, this is years. This is time has passed. Time has went by quickly and we're not very far away from the cross here. Verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground, it abideth alone and it, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, again, look at this. The humanity of Jesus and what he's about to face and what he's about to go through. He said, now is my soul troubled. Remember John 14, just a chapter, two letters says, told them, it said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus understands what it is like to have a troubled soul and a troubled heart. Now look what he says in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Can I encourage you to say the same thing he said when his soul was troubled? The next word that came out of his mouth was Father. Father. And when your soul is troubled, that ought to be the first word that comes out of your mouth is Father. And he says, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And he's referring to his death. The horrible, violent death of crucifixion. But not only that, of, of God allowing him on the cross in some miraculous manner becoming sin who knew no sin. And verse 28 says, Father, glorify thy name. 
Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by heard it and said, it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Remember this verse as we get further in the message. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then he says, and if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Then this he said, signifying what death he should die. And I know what people mean when they say, well, let's just lift up the name of Jesus because he said if he be lifted up, he will draw all men. But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, he's referring to him being lifted up from the earth, between heaven and earth, on the tree, signifying his death. And I'm for praising the Lord. And I am for lifting up his name. But don't take away the awfulness of his death. Okay, and his accomplishment. All right, so his death was volitional. You see that. It's voluntary. He's saying, Father, I want to do your will. He said, my soul is troubled. And remember when he got to the garden, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what? That cup, that cup of death, that cup of sin, that cup of, the Bible says that death is cruel. Remember uh, when uh, Saul had kept Agag alive? And Samuel found out about it. And Saul was supposed to have killed him. And Samuel uh, approaches him. And uh, Agag says, has the bitterness of death passed? In other words, he knew he was fixing to die. And he could sense the bitterness of life and the bitterness of death. And he thought, hey, you know what? They're going to spare me. But Samuel said... uh, your mother's fixing to be like a lot of the other mothers that where you've taken their sons, I'm fixing to take her son. And that good old preacher, that old preacher Samuel, just cut him up. You see, that's, that's horrific. Well, I'm just telling you the way things were. Amen. Now, I want you to look with me now in Hebrews chapter 2. The night of our fellowship with the teens at Sister Mary's house, Brother Lewis brought this, some of these points out to our teens. He asked them the question of why did Jesus come to the earth? There are a lot of answers to that. And there are some found in Hebrews chapter number 2 of which he went and, and dealt with some of those things. I hope you teenagers will always remember why Jesus came to the earth. And there are various reasons of why he came. But the one tonight is, number one, Jesus' death was volitional. It was voluntary. Number two, his death was vicarious. And that word means he was a substitute. Okay, he died vicariously for us. Okay, now look with me here. Let's prove this. Look in Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. Look with me in verse number uh, 5. It is in reference here to how great our salvation really is and how great our Savior truly is. And he's referring to how that man has been made a little lower than the angels. All right, verse 5. For the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. But in a certain place, verse 6, testified saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowns him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Now he's referring, Brother Mark, to 
what God did with mankind. That man has been made a little lower than the angels. And yet God is going to give him some authority and even a new world. We are not angels. One day we will be similar to some of their traits. But we are not angels. And the scripture says here in verse 8. He said in verse 8, talks about how they said, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Verse 9. Now he refers to Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. And he's just simply letting you know that he also was made a man. To verify that, look down in verse number 16. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus became a human. This is the mystery of godliness. How in the world can God become man? And how can he die? Now, in your mind, you think death means ceasing to exist, but that's not what the Bible ever refers to death as, ceasing to exist. Death means separation. Ghost from the temple. Ghost from the house. Spirit from the body. The Bible says in verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, human. Why? Well, here's one of the reasons. For the suffering of death. For the suffering of of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus Christ came to the earth and when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he died. At that moment, he tasted death for every man. You know what that means, every man? That means he died vicariously. You say, well, I don't know how that helps me today. Well, you need to try to understand it before we end the service tonight. Okay? Um, Jesus tasted this cup of death for man. Do you believe what you're reading? Okay? All right, now let's move to the third thing. It's in the same chapter. His death was volitional, and it was vicarious. And number three, his death was victorious. Now, what I mean by victorious, you say, well, I know he got up from the grave. We're not talking about that part yet. We're not talking about the resurrection. We're talking about what he accomplished in his death. You'll notice down in verse number 14 and verse number 15, a, a, a verse of scriptures that are not easily understood nor explained, but I, I will try. But I will also tell you some things that I do know. I'm not going to try to be dogmatic on some things that I don't know and be foolish about it. Look in chapter 2, verse 14 and verse number 15. I'm not going to speak where the Bible is silent. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, look at this. It says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through 
death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There are three things here I'd like to mention to you about the victory of his death. Now, I think you understand the reality of the devil. I don't think I have to convince you tonight that there is a creature that is called the devil, and he is called Satan, he is called Lucifer in the Scriptures. If you ever read the book of Job in the first few chapters, you will see the reality of the devil and Satan, how that the sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord, and along comes Satan, and God has a conversation with him. He says, what you been up to? He said, I've been going to and fro throughout the whole earth. And he said, well, have you considered my servant Job? He said, yeah, I have. I wanted to get my hands on him. Now, I'm paraphrasing some of this, okay? He said, I really wanted to get my hands on him. I said, he just serves you because you've, you've taken good care of him and you've put a hedge about him. So when I say here about where it says that he destroyed the power of the devil, um, the devil cannot just kill anybody whenever he chooses. You understand? So he didn't have that kind of power. And he couldn't get to Job until the father said, I'll tell you what, you can take everything he's got. And then later on they came back, had another conversation. He said, you let me touch his skin. And so he said, you can touch his skin, but you can't take his life. He said, you can't do that. So what does that tell you? It's what Jesus said. He said, but God, he said, fear not those who can kill the body. But they can't do anything after that. There are those who can kill our body. We can even kill our own body. And maybe at times even the devil himself can kill our bodies because according to 1 Corinthians 5, once the church sometimes uh, turns a person or puts them out of the church or turns them over, the Bible says, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But it's like he does have the power to do it, but he has to have permission to do it. Or he has to have, you might say, some rights to you, access to you, like as in giving place to the devil, where that you have gotten yourself outside of the will of God, which is a dangerous place. Someone said that we are as immortal as the will of God. You think about that. Daniel, the lions couldn't eat him. The three Hebrew children, the fire could not burn them. And according to Jonah, the whale couldn't digest him. You understand what I'm saying? And so death is a mystery to us, and yet it is also also considered to be our last enemy that shall be destroyed. I hate death. I hate it. The Bible says here, let's look at this now. The reality of the devil, I don't think I have to convince you of that. But the restrictions of the devil are very clear also in the Scriptures. But I believe that Jesus' death removes some of the power of Satan as far as the way he works. Did you know 1 John 5 gives us a little bit clarity on this? Scripture usually does. 
It says that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. You remember I've always brought up the first one on the list in the lake of fire? And who is that at the top? Anybody remember? The fearful. And I have mentioned about how that many times people will not give their hearts to Christ because they're afraid of their friends, they're afraid of their family, afraid it might cost them financially. And I believe that. But I also believe the Scriptures verify and show that fear is one of the things that the devil uses to develop superstition and false religion around the whole world because people are afraid of dying. Afraid of dying. And he holds them, the Bible says he holds them in bondage. If you go to another land and, and you haven't, some of you gr- grown up understanding who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, but some have never heard about him. And if you go there into a foreign land and you start talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, it is foreign to them. It is, it is, it is, it is a, a, a strange doctrine to them. Remember in Acts chapter number 17 when Paul goes into Athens, you know what he's, what he's stirred about when he gets there in that city? Anybody remember? It was all the idols that he saw. He was angry and he was stirred up. He said, man, what is wrong with you folks? He said, look at this. He said, you are too superstitious. He said, you do these things and you even made a monument to the unknown God in case you missed one. And people in foreign lands, especially like in China and Japan and other places, they live in great fear. They believe in the spirit world. They, they believe in karma. They believe in these, these things that sometimes we should need to understand about the spirit world. But I want you to understand this. Remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, God has not given us the what? The spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. According to 2 Timothy 1.10, Jesus abolished death took away its teeth, took away its final authority. So if two people, one is an unbeliever and one is a believer, and both of them die, is there a difference in those two individuals? The family that has the believer that goes into the grave, they will sorrow at the loss of that individual, but they will not sorrow as others who have no hope. And the Scripture says, that according to 1 John 5, that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And you and I have been set free from that fear because we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, yeah, but Brother Roger, we're still going to die. So how did Jesus taste death for me if I'm still going to have to go through it? Well, the difference is, is that now you are going to pass from death unto life. John 5.24 says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And I think that it is why that we can see sometimes in history of how that some of these martyrs, how they died, Christians, they asked John Wesley about his followers and some of the men that came before him and about their experience of, of dying for their faith and John Wesley said, we die well. That's what he said. We die well. 
I'm not interested in dying well tonight. But when I die, I hope that I die well. And I hope that I can, with, with like the Lord Jesus, like Stephen did. When Stephen died, man, he, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the Bible says he fell asleep. So you have here in, in, in this passage of Scripture some very, very critical uh, statements here about the, the death of Jesus Christ. I want, I want to conclude the message tonight with these thoughts. I want to say concerning the death of Jesus and it being victorious. He took the fangs out of the devil. Doesn't mean he does still does not deceive. Because he doesn't want you to hear this message. That if you get born again and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That you will be saved. And yes, you have an appointment with death. But that death is going to be a moment of graduation. It will be a passing from death unto life. Now, you can find great comfort in that if you believe what the Scriptures say. Now, here's what the Scripture says about the death of Jesus on the cross. It says that we are reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Being reconciled to God through the death of His Son means that We now have access to fellowship with God, but because Jesus was the atonement and the propitiation for our sins, it removed the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God and now have access to fellowship with God through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's why Paul got so upset with religions that took the focus off of Jesus and he said, we preach Christ crucified. If you want to be right with God, you want to have peace with God, you want to have hope for eternity, then you have to focus on what was accomplished that day on the cross to the death of Jesus Christ. Now, Watchman Nee said this. He said, we may be weak, but looking at our weakness does not make us strong. He said, no, no trying to feel bad and doing penance will help us to even be a little holier He said, we must approach God through the blood of Christ. And he's referring to the death of Christ. Approaching God through what Jesus... It is offensive to God the Father for you to approach Him any other way than through what He has provided through His only begotten Son. In His death, Jesus became the propitiation for our sins because He alone could provide the righteousness that we need. He alone could satisfy the righteousness of a a judgment of a holy God and remove the just wrath of God upon us. What the devil's good at? What does the Bible refer to him as being concerning the brethren? The accuser of the brethren. He is a slanderer. He wants, and one of the things that he wanted to do with Israel is provoke God's wrath against them. That was the doctrine of Balaam. He said, I, he said, he, he said, he, when Balaam could not curse Israel, his counsel was, let's get you to start doing some stuff that will bring the wrath of God upon you. Because he said, basically he said, I'm confident God will judge sin. So I'm going to get you and I'm going to deceive you and I'm going to get you involved in sin so that I know that God will judge you. That is his goal. That is his desire. He wants the wrath of God upon you because I believe he knows it's coming his way. And Jesus Christ came to remove that just wrath up from us. Men, women, boys, and girls who repent toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ have peace with God. Peace with God. 
justified by faith. We have peace with God. That means the wrath of God no longer is upon us. When the death angel, Brother Lauren, came through in Exodus chapter number 12, the only thing that that death angel was looking for, the only thing that the wrath of God was looking for when it came through that place, it was looking for the blood that was on those homes. And when you die, the Bible says one day that we will all stand before God, some at different times, of course, But when mankind who is unsaved stands before God, the Bible says that God will search through that book, the Lamb's book of life. And if His name is not written in that book, the Scripture says that He will experience what is referred to as the second death or the eternal, just wrath of God for spitting upon and turning His back upon the love of God and the grace of God that was given through Jesus Christ on the cross. Someone said that if we are to die well, we should live well. Jesus died in the will of the Father. Are you going to die in the will of God? Are you? His final words were words of confidence. Earlier, when He became sin for us, He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When God had turned the light out and it became sin, and when that came to an end and God turned the light back on, the Bible says, his last word started with, Father. A word of tenderness, a relationship of confidence, he said, into thy hands. And Jesus is fixing to step over into something that he has never experienced before. And that is death. If you and I are traveling to an unknown place, we're about to experience the unknown. Wouldn't it be wise on our part to see how previous men have fared? Are you prepared for your appointment? I want to thank God tonight from my heart that Jesus tasted death for me. I know that death is coming. I know it's coming. When? I'm not sure. But I know it is. And I hope and pray that I die well. I hope that I live well. And I sure hope that I die well. You know, we don't get, we don't, we don't get second chances at this. There's no room for error to make sure that our eternal soul is secure. Because at some point, I am going to pass from death into something else. I want it to be life. Amen? And I believe the, the book, the only, there are millions and zillions of books. Bianca's written, has, has read half of those books already. But there are zillions of books on this planet. But there is only one. Only one that gives us a clear path to the Almighty God and what goes on beyond and our hope beyond that we can have confidence in. 
So what I'm looking at here is I know that I shall perish. I know that I, every town, Brother Mark, has a graveyard. Did you know that? They have jail, hospital, and graveyard. Agree? If it's large enough, it's got a hospital. They all got jails, most of them. Jails, hospitals, graveyards. One day, you and I will be under one of those markers. And I want to be able to die, Brother Scott, with confidence that Jesus tasted death for me so that I would not have to drink the bitter cup of death and be separated from God. I close with this. You've heard this before. It's worth repeating. I was visiting a grave in Crotch Springs, Louisiana, at a funeral. Came across a marker. Said, friends and strangers and passers-by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, someday you will be. Prepare your soul to follow me. I kept that in my Bible for a long time. And then I was at another graveyard and I saw somebody added something to it on another marker in another place. And it says, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And I hope and pray tonight that you're ready and your confidence is in what Jesus Christ alone did on the cross. Now, as we move from this, from the cross and the days following this, eventually, three days later, we know that he conquered death and came out of the grave. A lot of things happen in between that. We know that. And we have confidence that Jesus Christ truly is who he says he was. All that Jesus did on the cross had to be confirmed that he truly was who he said he was when God the Father raised him up from the tomb. And so, yes, the resurrection is critical. Amen. There are many guys who died for their causes. They're still in the grave. But there's only one who died for his cause who's still alive. And that's our Savior. And we're the cause. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to the earth. Lord Jesus, thank you for obeying the Father and coming to the earth. And thank you for sending men out to preach the good word of God. Thank you, Lord, that I was able one day to sit underneath the preaching of the Bible to see who you were and who I was and what Jesus did for me. Thank you for the peace with you and the peace of God that comes with that. I love my church. Please watch over them. They travel home tonight. And we'll thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much. Thank We thank you. Thank you so much. In his name, amen.